0: It is a massive structure, a twisted, angry fist of stone and metal, bathed in blood, tinged with terror, and it's no wonder it's probably one of the most haunted sites in all of the world. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts. Christy, Amber, and Scott.
1: Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Amber, and Scott is out this week. He's not feeling that great, so he has the week off. Send him your feel-better thoughts so that he can... Feel better. But meanwhile, Amber and I are here continuing Spooky Ween Month in which we put the spooky in your ween. No, so dirty. (laughs) So if your genitals start making some weird noises, you know who's to blame. (laughs) (laughs) Haunted Ween. Haunted Ween. A few quick notes before we get started. As always, you can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash old tiny crimey. And there we have not only our weekly old tiny crimeys, but we also have new bonus episodes coming out monthly that are bigger. This time we did the 70s. That's right, guys. We stepped out of 1951 and before and into the 70s. It was Fascinating, And we each came up with some really interesting murder stories, some pretty horrifying. Yeah, and a three for one, no less. Yeah, right? Yeah, we each got a story. It was one of our menage a trois. So there is that. And if you're not the, you know, long-term relationship type, if you would just like to leave a buck 50 on the nightstand, as some of our very good friends do, you can go to PayPal and use our email Oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com, and that way you can send us a little something and we will still give you a shout out. And also, oldtimeycrimy.redbubble.com for merch. Guys, guys, I mean, g- Guy, Amber,
0: <laughs> Amber, and <In, in> audience, <laughs> I guess.
1: <laughs> I made the voodoo sex riot. Yes, it is going to be a thing and it is. Awesome. I'm very proud of myself. This is all my graphic design. So yeah, I will be this we'll we'll unveil that next week. Maybe we'll do another on air unveiling because I like to get your reactions. It's really fun to see you guys. Or maybe we'll do it. Yeah, we'll do it next week. So so there is that. And of course, you know what? So for Christmas, usually I just
0: carry around a bunch of like booze in my trunk. So if I forget a present, I have that for like a Christmas present. But I think this year. It's going to be our merch. And so it's like, oh, I forgot a
1: present. Here you go. Old timey, crimey shower curtain. Nice. I love it. That's an excellent idea. And everybody else should do that too. Remember, nobody wants anything for Christmas, but old timey, crimey merch. You know it. We know it. Everybody knows it. (laughs) There is also our social media. We are old timey, crimey on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I think that is all my stuff. So why don't we talk about a very haunted place? The Tower of London. I feel like
0: there should be a drum roll for this, but yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Either that or a, a crescendo of ghostly sounds. Like ooh, 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 ooh. this is what we need Scott for. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> So let's delve into the history of the Tower of London. First, it was built in 1067 at the behest of William the Conqueror after he did what conquerors do and won the Battle of Hastings. And uh, if he he had lost, then he really should have had another name because that's a little bit deceptive advertising there, buddy. (laughs) I hope he never lost a battle because it just seems very hypocritical for William the Conqueror to lose a battle.
0: And if he did lose one, it should have been his last. So that's okay.
1: Exactly. So the tower was meant to be both a fortress and the royal residence, but it ended up being a lot of other stuff. Started out as a wooden castle, but they added the great tower aspect starting sometime around 1075. And that would become the core of the Tower of London. Now, there were two walls surrounding the complex. And in addition to being, you know, fortress, residence, and eventually home of many ghosts, it was a royal menagerie for 600 years. At times, it had an elephant, a pale bear, they called it, which was probably a polar bear, eagles, pumas, a tiger, a jackal, lions, leopards. And, you know, if you're wandering around the Tower of London and you see a spectral figure that's not necessarily dressed in fancy clothes, but is more the, you know, peasant type, and that peasant is also maybe missing an arm or something, then you know that somebody got too close to the lions, which happened a bit. (laughs) It still happens now, and there's gates and walls. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) Humans just can't stop humaning, and sometimes that's not a good thing. (laughs) I agree. Unless you're a hungry lion. (laughs) The menagerie aspect was dismantled many years later, but they say you can hear the ghostly roar of lions at night or see horses with bright red eyes racing around the tower. That would scare me. That would be terrifying. (laughs) There is the Denver airport you land and then on the way from the airport into the city, there is this giant blue horse, if I'm remembering correctly, with bright red eyes. And it is the scariest thing. And there's also a whole bunch of lore attached to it. I do believe that that horse might have killed the original sculptor. Oh, my. I'm, (laughs) I'm totally just going off of a very faint memory here, but I think it fell on him. (laughs) So that, well, that'll do you (laughs) again, caveat. I'm, I'm not going off of any sources, just my memory of what either somebody told me or I read at some point and put in some back corner of my memory. So yeah, who knows? So the tower was also the home of the national mint for 500 years so that, and it, it also became a storage place for government records because guess how they did it before that? They just had the monarch carrying everything around everywhere they went. <laughs> like For the entire government? For the entire government. All the documents for the entire government. Like carriages, I guess, full of documents. Just to, because, you know, you've got the monarch there. So all the people protecting the monarch are there. So also you can protect all of these documents as well. But holy... One, one well-placed flaming arrow and there's no more documents. <laughs> exactly i have to wonder how long it took them to come to that realization or if it was a flaming arrow that made them come to that realization my record's been expunged (laughs) nice expunged in in flames it is also the home of the crown jewels and they do have an exhibit there where you can see all the pretty sparkly things that were kind of built on the back of colonialism so there is that aspect. you
0: know what in with the crown jewels though there's actually a diamond that they believe to also be haunted um but only if the men touch it which i love
1: i think that's fantastic that <laughs> is fantastic i i love that too sorry men this diamond's definitely for the
0: ladies. Yeah, like as as far as I know, as long as it's like one of like the, the female royals, perfectly fine. Male royal touches it, Kaputsky.
1: <laughs> that. Oh my gosh. I love that legend. That's fantastic. Again, sorry, man, but you know, we gotta get our jollies where we can. So <laughs> it's harder to get our jellies. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. You know it, we know it, everybody knows it. <laughs> And so, of course, the tower has been a prison for many people, over 8000 people over a period of 750 years. That is a lot of really unfortunate people, many probably falsely accused or political prisoners. So not great, you know. The gate through which they would bring these prisoners was called the Traitor's Gate. And we're going to get to a couple of possible reasons that it might be called that. But as for executions, only seven people were actually executed in the tower. Like on in inside the tower itself. The other 112 executions that happened over the tower's time as a prison were held on Tower Hill. So you had to be real special to get your head chopped off inside the tower. I, I guess it's an honor of sorts.
0: Well, it was, it was a smaller crowd. Um, so if, if you were like of noble birth or something, then you would get executed in the tower because you were special. And it was a smaller crowd. And if you were on Tower Hill, then anybody could come and enjoy the sight of your death.
1: Yeah, if you were a noble, I guess it would be demeaning to have all those peasants watching you die. The commoners can't see me die. No, not the commoners. (laughs) They will soil my soul. I'm surprised I was able to say that. (laughs) It's a tough one. (laughs) Now, where Tower Hill was, there is now a memorial garden, which is very appropriate, but if you're in the area ghost hunting and you fancy a pint, you can stop at a couple of British pubs. You know how much I love my British pub names. Oh, I hope they're good. <laughs> oh, well, we've got the crutched Friar. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, the walrus and the carpenter. Okay. All right. All right. It's whimsical. Or the hung, drawn and quartered. That is very appropriate. It is wonderful. And I promise you someday I'm going back to London and my first stop is going to be the hung, drawn, and quartered for a drink. <laughs> just uh, bring like a sage stick with you just in case. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I also found for next time I go to England, I and this I swear I wasn't looking for it, but I found on a website when I was doing some research, it was two clicks. And then I was looking at a castle with a hot tub. Ooh. And not terribly expensive either. <laughs> like, if is we... that going to be our next murder castle? Uh, it can be. I don't know if any murders have happened in it, but the odds are pretty good. So. <laughs> and if not, we can make it happen. Yes, we can. So, all right, let's talk about a couple of ghosts. Um, I, Amber, I feel like I'm saying ghosts, like <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> I, I have been
0: practicing so I can I can say it better now. So
1: <laughs> All right, then prove yourself. Go ahead. Ghost. Oh, very good. It did sound like you were going for goats there for a minute, but you gave ah, it all. Whatever. I tried.
0: All <laughs> so right. I can't like, concentrate.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh god. That yes. That was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to start in the kind of beginning-ish, and actually the beginning of Tower Ghost starts before the tower was even a thing. Um, well, it was already a thing, but before it was as expansive as it is now. The Archbishop of Canterbury was Thomas Beckett at one point in time, and in the 1160s and 70s, Thomas Beckett and Henry II, they kind of got into it over church stuff. Just a note that we're not going to dig super deep into the history. We're going to gloss over some stuff because the point is uh, more about the ghosts, but we're going to give you, you know, at least the reasons that they may have haunted things. So, the Cliff Notes version. Yes. We are going to be hitting up some of these cases in the future. So, you know, we don't want to give too much away now. So, Henry II, which, by the way, we are going to have so many Henrys that just are not great. So, there's, there's a lot of them never name your children henry <laughs> yeah, that seems to be the case sorry henry's but uh, all these other henry's have really made it a bad name for you yeah so, henry ii got a little riled up when thomas beckett excommunicated a couple of his guys and he said something along the lines of will no one rid me of this turbulent priest and apparently implication was everything back then because some of his men were like, Oh, that was an order to kill him? Okay, all right, we're on it. We got this. <laughs> like
0: Well, like I, I think we're a little more blunt today with our threats, but like back then it was it was very like Veiled. it sounded almost polite, but
1: you knew it wasn't. And I think this is that case. <laughs> yes, yes. I think you're very, very right about that. So the men didn't kill him at the tower. And he is, Thomas Becket is not buried there. They did kill him. But he is London's patron saint. And so when Henry III, what I tell you about those Henrys, was building up some of the tower walls in the 1230s, long after Beckett's death, Beckett's ghost was seen one night knocking the walls down with his cross, like entire walls, very tall. And the next day the walls were all down, just completely crumbled to the ground. So See, like, I think that would be like,
0: I shouldn't say funny, but like, it would be funny to just like w- watch the ghost of a priest
1: with his cross, just hammering down the walls. I like to think that he was so powerful that he just kind of, poked them and they fell like it's take it across and just poke, and then there it goes <laughs> <laughs> so i think they gave up for the moment on that but then henry the third son edward he was like okay i need to make make daddy's ghost proud and redo his work so he did put the walls back up but knowing the history he was like we got to get in good with beckett if we're gonna make this happen So they put a chapel in the royal apartments and dedicated it to Becket, And it became known as St. Thomas's Tower. And then they were successful in getting the walls up because they had paid appropriate tribute, apparently. My job here is done. (laughs) All I wanted was a chapel. Thank you. (laughs) Now, the thing is, this chapel is right above the gate through which many of the prisoners passed to to be arrested and imprisoned in the tower. That gate, as we said, is called the traitor's gate. But the question is, is it called the traitor's gate because many of the people imprisoned were accused of being traitors? Or is it called the traitor's gate because Thomas Beckett, whose chapel is right above the gate, was accused of being a traitor? (laughs) I think it's maybe both because back then everybody was a traitor. You know what? You have a point there. Yeah. <laughs> like, if
0: you pissed anybody of power off, you were a traitor. <laughs> Pretty You've much. Got against our country. Oh, my gosh. Very turbulent times. Yes. If, <laughs> if they could see us now, they'd
1: be rolling in their graves and just be like, behead them all. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yes. I'm sure there are some people who wish that beheadings were still a thing. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so... And now, second verse, same as the first, actually technically third (laughs) verse, King Henry VI. What did I say about Henry's? (laughs) There's lots of Henry's in this tower. (laughs) Yeah, right. So in 1471, during the War of the Roses, King Henry was supposed to get both the English and the French thrones that he was entitled to. But the House of York was like, eh, I don't think so, buddy. And so they tossed him in the tower. Now, Edward IV then took power. And there were stories about King Henry VI's subsequent death, that he died of a broken heart. But there were many people who said, eh, probably assassinated. And then in 1910... King Henry the 6th was exhumed and they found on his remains damage to the skull and blood on his hair keep in mind that's almost 500-year-old blood like, he was just waiting until they could prove it exactly so i'm going to assume that a broken heart death doesn't really involve you know skull damage usually yeah not usually not usually um, now, I have a
0: couple interesting things about, about Henry VI here. So he actually became king of England at nine months old.
1: Oh, my God. I love it when they do that. It makes so much sense.
0: Then he became king of France a few months later. So he's he's like one, and he's king of two countries. So he didn't get officially crowned until he was eight. So he was eight years old. He's officially crowned. And he actually was disliked by many people because he wanted to avoid
1: conflict because he's eight. (laughs) Right? (laughs) He's not ready to go to war. Oh, my gosh. The sense that this makes is zero.
0: (laughs) But, like, I actually saw that um, it was suspected that when he died, he was actually
1: kneeling in prayer. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of uh, blasphemous there, whoever uh, killed him of a broken heart. Which is why he comes back on the anniversary of his death. Yes, he does. And then he will wander around the site where he was uh, murdered of a broken heart. And (laughs) then he just, the clock strikes 12, and on the last stroke, he vanishes. Into the everlasting faint. Oh, wait, no, sorry. He's a man. Never mind. (laughs) Yes, that's right. We learned in in Amber's uh, old tiny crimey that some deaths can be, cause of death can be attributed to the everlasting faint because we're ladies and (laughs) we are very fragile. (laughs) We must be dainty even in death.
0: Heart attack is too manly. Everlasting faint.
1: (laughs) Yes. So... Let's talk about the princes in the tower. Now we're definitely going to delve much deeper into this one later. It's one of the one of the stories on my list that I'm like kind of leery about, just because it's so entangled up with political stuff, and there's there's so much history that you're not sure exactly what you need to include. So again, just going to gloss over, but just know that we will be hitting up the princes in the tower probably sometime in 2021. I'm thinking so. All right, Uh, they were uh, Edward and Richard. They were placed there in uh, 1483 by the soon-to-be Richard III, who was meant to be uh, the protector of Edward, who was heir to the throne. Edward was 12. Yes, Edward was 12, and uh, his brother was nine. So, yes, they were very young. They were placed by Richard III. He, Richard III was like, protector. I hardly know her. And he tossed him <laughs> in the tower. <laughs> and, and what happened was the two boys, they just vanished. And nobody knew what happened to them. I mean, a lot of best guesses are that Richard III had them done away with in order to secure his power. But that isn't necessarily a foolproof theory. There's lots of other ones. And nothing was seen of them for nearly 200 years until they were doing some some renovations and such. And they found two skeletons in a wooden chest underneath the foundation of a privy staircase. So that's like, you know, uh, Matryoshka Doll's level of (laughs) hiding something. (laughs) And the bones were children's bones. And the size of the skeletons did coincide with about the size the princess would have been at the time of their disappearance. Now, also, this could have been any young boys that somebody wanted to hide their bodies. There's no true identification as of now, but it it seems pretty likely. And now there are stories of people who see in the tower two little boys with their hands clasped wandering the halls just holding each other's hands and that is heartbreaking
0: it is but there's also stories of um people in the tower hearing the laughter of children so there's maybe they're kind of happy sometimes which we can hope
1: yeah that's that's nice to think about it's nice to think that they might be happy even though they appear to be stuck on this plane if there are other planes i don't know so in 2015 There's an article where a woman was taking a picture in the tower of this weapons exhibit. And it's hard to tell exactly what was happening. You have her daughter in the picture, but it's hard to tell if her daughter was, like, looking in the mirror behind the exhibit or what. It kind of seems that way. And then behind her daughter was a boy's face. And the face is sort of ghostly, and the the family does think that it is the young prince, or (laughs) would have been king, Edward, um I think is, there was just a boy standing behind her and she didn't know it but that's just me. <laughs> it's you, you know what you'd be surprised how many tourists
0: don't realize the people around them when they take pictures and then they're like it's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I bet that a lot of tourist ghost pictures are just other tourists,
0: right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then the other thing about this picture is it's up the the part of the weapons exhibit she was photographing is like this Incredibly flashy, ostentatious, jewel encrusted gun. <laughs> like it probably belonged to one of the Henry's. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but like it looks like a more modern gun, like kind of James Bondish, which who knows? Maybe it was used in a in a Bond film or something like that. But it definitely feels like England, you're kind of stepping on our toes there because we're the ostentatious ones and who have no. guns.
0: I know I know what it is. It is Sir Elton John's gun.
1: Everybody knows Elton John is packing
0: And I mean it, His would have to be jewel encrusted And probably really gaudy To go with his glasses and outfits Liberace was Liberace was British? No? I have no idea No, <laughs> but I know Elton John was knighted So I, I'm, I'm going with his
1: <laughs> Okay Alright, we can go with that uh, Liberace is American and I'm an idiot So there we go <laughs> i had no idea that he was american actually i had no idea either so (gasps) okay so and there's other pictures um that claim that there's okay so it's a picture of the tower and there's a little smudge and people claim that that smudge is one of the princes but i claim that it's a smudge
0: yeah like clean your camera
1: lens yes exactly you know, dirty fingers and then the camera lens and it's an older picture too. So photography was not quite as up to snuff as what it is now. So yeah. All right. Do you have anything more for Princess in the Tower, Amber?
0: Um, I have one last thing and it's actually a more recent development. Apparently after that picture with the little boy's face, there was actually a call to action to uh, exhume the bodies to do a DNA analysis and uh, Westminster Abbey has refused Oh wow! Oh my!
1: <gasps> I think that says a lot right there.
0: Yeah. So they're like, no, we we've laid them to rest now. We're not doing it again. They're they're staying where they are. I think they
1: know something we don't know. Probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's how I feel about
1: all branches of the government, though, regardless of what country. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Let's talk about probably the most famous ghost of the tower, Anne Boleyn. So she started out her time at the court as a maid of honor, which here in America, we kind of co-opted that as a, you know, particular role in weddings. But back then it was kind of a junior lady in waiting position. And she was maid of honor to Catherine of Aragon, who was Henry the eighth's first wife of many. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. As we all know. And so Henry kind of was like, "Eh, here's this pretty girl and I don't like my wife so much anymore. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to nope all of my country out of the official Catholic church. And then I'll make my own church with divorce and annulments. (laughs) Because why not? Exactly. And then in a completely unrelated event, he ditched Catherine and Anne Boleyn became his second wife. Absolutely unrelated. Those two had nothing to do with each other. He did not change the entire, alter the entire religion of his country in order to uh, get his jollies. So,
0: No, who would do that? Only someone named
1: Henry. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I love your oh there. <laughs> So Anne was married to Henry and was the Queen of England for a whopping three years from 1533 to 1536. And then the problem was she couldn't pop out a son for Henry, and that was really all he wanted out of life. And I always just find it so hugely ironic that he went to such great lengths trying to get a son, and it was so hugely important to him. And all the ladies got blamed for the fact that he couldn't have a son. And but uh, biologically speaking, it is in fact the 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 male who determines the sex. Of yep, the it is the sperm. Yep. So all along it was him. And isn't that just history in a nutshell? So. <laughs> <laughs> so she had been, Anne had been a really awesome mistress, but she also had this tendency to speak her mind. And then maybe that's okay for a mistress, but it's not okay for a wifely queen. And so Henry was like, uh, hey, hey, over there, Jane Seymour. What up, girl? You're my mistress, but maybe you like the wife upgrade? I pro- I swear nothing bad ever happens to my wives. Did I say wives plural? Oops. Nope, I'm I'm a good man. Good man They're and a wonderful bad husband. Women. Bad, bad women. Bad <laughs> women. So of course, once again, will no one rid me of this troublesome wife? <laughs> I'm sorry, it just kind of follows, you know? <laughs> So he's got to get rid of Anne, and how better than to basically accuse her of sleeping with anything in sight? Uh, That included a musician, two courtiers, two members of Henry's privy chamber. I don't want to know what they did, what their job was. I don't want to know what that is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A poet, and the super gross cherry on top, her brother.
0: George. George.
1: So we have the charges of adultery, incest, and treason, which in my notes, because I have a new keyboard and I'm still getting used to it, I have adultery, incest, and reason. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay, yeah. So she was tossed in the t- tower in a cell above the chapel of St. Peter at Bencula, which is the parish church of the tower. And five of the men who were accused of being with her were tried and executed. And if you're wondering, yes, her brother was one of them. And there are stories that Anne actually had to watch this from her window in the tower, which is heartbreaking. I can't even imagine. So I am not at all surprised that she haunts the place. Yeah, yeah. Girls got reasons. Girls got reasons. So Anne was sentenced to death after this, but Henry being the wonderful husband that he was, he was real nice about it. He was like, okay, so normally we would burn you because that's what we do. But since, you know, you've been real good about all this stuff, uh, I'm going to instead behead you or, well, I'm going to have somebody else behead you. And instead of some guy who takes an ax and has to chop It's like six times to finish the job. I'm going to get a top notch executioner who will use a sword to do it. So it's just one slice. How's that sound, honey? That good. Does that work for you? Yeah. So nice of him. So nice. So (laughs) she was executed two days after all the, the dudes who she supposedly slept with, including her brother uh, on the North side of the white tower. So Anne was one of the few who was executed within the tower. Now, it's said that on her way to the execution, she looked, quote, as gay as if she was not going to die, end quote. Although, honestly, a lot of accounts have her welcoming death as a relief from her misery of, you know, bearing the brunt of all these accusations and and losing her husband and losing her position as queen. So that might've been legitimate relief. Like she might've been like, whew, okay, all right, I'm done with all this stuff. And then it's just gonna be one swipe and I'm out. Yep, I don't have to deal with this guy's shit anymore. <laughs> right? <laughs> so she was executed in one strike of the sword. And it said that when the executioner held her head up afterwards. Her eyes and lips were still moving as though she continued the prayer she had been speaking when he cut her head off. Creepy. Super creepy. Anne Boleyn was buried in an unmarked grave within the chapel. And during a renovation of the chapel, the bones were found and that site is now marked And she's probably the most seen ghost of the tower. And not only the most seen ghost of the tower, the most seen ghost of like everywhere. She's seen at Bickling Hall, which is her birthplace. At Hever Castle, which was her childhood home. At Sal Church, which there are legends that she was actually buried there, even though her bones were found in the tower chapel. And at Marwell Hall, which I don't know what the connection is there but it's now a zoo so there's that um and she's seen in the tower carrying her own severed
0: head if that's not the creepiest one you've ever seen
1: i know right <laughs> to imagine that seeing a ghost carrying its own severed head oh my so in 1864 there was an incident in which a soldier was on guard and he saw a figure in white floating towards him so he charged it with his bayonet and when he and the bayonet both plunged right through the figure he passed out and then that fainting incident led to him being put on trial because he fainted which was construed as abandoning his post and that could have gone very poorly for him But a general had seen the whole thing from his window and testified at the trial and the general saw the ghost and in court, they were like, all right, well, you saw a ghost and you try, okay, we get it. You fainted. All right. We'd faint too. And the charge was dropped. Which hooray. Yeah. Right. I bet he was like, thank God. I mean, so when they were exhuming the bodies in 1876, the bodies that were in the chapel, they were going to rebury them at Queen Victoria's insistence. We had another case of a sighting, which again, this was a captain of the guard here. So somebody really reliable, you would think. He was patrolling the tower and he was drawn to the chapel by a flickering light. So he goes and he looks in the window and he sees Anne Boleyn with a bunch of lords and ladies and knights in the church and they're all dressed in the Tudor style and there's like a procession of ghosts about 25 in total before they finally all vanish. Which that's kind of awesome. I would pay good money to see that.
0: Yeah, she's holding court well after death. She's like, whatever, it's my country now.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I am the queen in spirit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Do you have anything else on Anne Boleyn?
0: Uh, Nope. That's about it for her. All right.
1: Continuing, Henry. Henry (laughs) VIII, I am, I am. My armor is haunted. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, Henry's armor, uh, wherever it is stored, people who visit report all kinds of unpleasantness, like someone or something is wrapping their arms around their chest and they get this feeling that they're being crushed and other people feel like someone's strangling them, like they have their hands around their neck and they feel like they're asphyxiating. And uh, as soon as they get out of the room, they tend to be fine. But whenever they're in the room where the armor is, that's where these things happen. So there was, once again, a guard... these poor guards i know right like i would pay good money to see that one scene of the the anne boleyn royal procession ghost thing but uh you couldn't pay me enough to be one of these guards because apparently they just see stuff all the time so uh he ran into a ghost but there was something different about this one its clothes or at least the cloak it was wearing were tangible and the ghost took its cloak and wrapped it around the guard's neck and started to choke him. He managed to get out of this like stranglehold and he actually had marks on his neck. You could see where the cloak had been strangling him. Which is terrifying. Right? Like it's bad enough that there's ghosts, but now they're trying to literally kill me and there's like physical proof of it. <laughs> like, but you know what? That's that's
0: Henry VIII. And he's yeah. a dick in life and a dick in death. And that's what—that's our conclusion here. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah.
1: Now, they would move the armor. But anytime they did, still happened in whatever room it was in. The weirdness followed the armor everywhere. Now, I have a fun fact about Henry's armor. Cod pieces were a big thing in this time period. I feel like his book probably wasn't very big. Probably not, but he made the codpiece big so that, you know, it it would seem as though what was inside it was large. Yeah, it's like driving a truck with really big wheels. I get it. Exactly. <laughs> and so this was, of course, if you don't know, the pouch that is at the crotch of pants to keep uh, one's royal jewels secure and modest, although not very modest if it's like encasing them. <laughs> like Now, he was the one who started the style of giant codpieces. pieces. And so, you know, no one's gonna offend the king by having a cod piece bigger than his. But he still kept on demanding bigger and bigger cod pieces until basically there was enough storage space in there that he could toss some jewels in there or maybe a weapon. Was a man purse? Man <laughs> purse. Yes, very much a man purse. And my final fun fact about fun fact about this. I love this. In French, the word cod piece is. Braguette. Which is exactly
0: what Henry VIII was doing.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yes. I. That is probably one of the most delightful things I've ever discovered. I, I love like. What, what do you have in that man purse there? Oh, it's my braguette. <laughs> yes. All right. Anything else on Henry's armor? Nope. Screw Henry. Screw Henry. All right. Yeah, let's talk about... Uh, I have the heading for this section in my notes because I'm a dork is the Countess of Stake. <laughs> I'm weird. The Countess of Salisbury. <laughs> yes. Her name was Margaret Pole, and she was in the 15th and 16th centuries. She was one of only two women in that period who could claim that she was a peeress, but she didn't come by that title through a husband. So, peeress is basically. You know, a peer was a man with a title. A peeress is a woman with a title. So she came by it by birth, I guess, and remained uh, unmarried, I suppose. I didn't look too much into her life. Now, she had a turbulent relationship with... Henry VIII. Uh, third verse? Fourth verse? same as the first? I don't even know <laughs> at this point. He's just causing so much trouble. So she... Now, Margaret Pohl had a close relationship with Mary. Mary was the daughter of Catherine of Aragon, who, if you'll remember, was Henry's first wife. And once Henry and Anne were together, and Anne had a daughter, Elizabeth, who would go on to become Elizabeth I, Henry had Mary declared a bastard so that there would be no competition between Elizabeth and Mary. It would always be Elizabeth is at the forefront and gets everything And that wasn't necessarily actually true. There was quite a, there was some battling going on there eventually. Uh, But, so yeah, this was not a great relationship. And then Henry accused her of supporting Catholicism uh, and also trying to get her son and Mary, I guess she must have gotten married if she had a son anyhow, uh, together to have them rule because they're, power combined maybe uh captain planet ish and uh so she was sentenced to death in 1839 well there was actually another layer to that so her son was actually a cardinal ah yes so that yeah And, and he
0: denounced henry viii who was trying to claim the head of the church of england and so she was kind of embroiled in all that too which is why she was a traitor
1: of course, just like anybody who said things that he didn't want them to say was a traitor. So, yeah, she was sentenced to death, but they kept her in the tower for another two and a half years. It's not as bad dire at least her time in the tower is not as dire as one might think because she was able to stay with her grandson even though her son had been executed i believe she had servants and she got like an one year she got an allowance for lots of nice clothes so not terrible although you still had that specter of death hanging over your head so also yeah. not, not great yeah <laughs> it's, it's not terrible but it's not great so it's just meh um in 1541, she was uh, her execution was actually ordered. Uh, now, Anne Boleyn was real enthusiastic about this. Margaret Pole, on the other hand, was not.
0: She and was kind
1: of a badass. <laughs> she was, as we will see. On her cell wall, they found a poem carved, which read, for traitors on the block should die. I am no traitor, no, not I. My faithfulness stands fast, and so towards the block I shall not go, nor make one step as you shall see. Christ in thy mercy, save thou me. And we're really gonna see that she lives up to her poetry. Yes, yeah, she does. <laughs> so she was another one who is executed within the tower walls, so one of the seven, out of the sight of the public, although there are two people who wrote accounts of it. And they just varied these sources wildly the (laughs) (laughs) write-up. One of them was like, oh, there were just a couple people there to witness it. And the second guy was like, actually, there were 150 people, including the mayor. Which I'm actually, I'm inclined to believe him because I feel
0: like 150 people are still much less than would have been at like the Tower Hill.
1: Yeah, some of these some executions would get thousands upon thousands. So the, the really a few is definitely relative here. The first guy who was like, there were just a few, could have been like, well, 150 is a few compared to 10,000, you know? Or or maybe the guy with the 150 is a braguette. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So this execution was happening, but Margaret was not having it. She refused to lay her head down and said, So should traitors do, and I am a nun, basically saying, I'm not a traitor, yo. Like, don't make me do this. And so, okay, there's a couple different possibilities of what happened here. Again, multiple versions. Sources vary wildly. Uh, either there was a teenager essentially who was stepping in for the executioner who was absent uh, I guess he had gone off to war to execute people in other countries. Um, or, <laughs> hey, who knows? It's England. Possibly also within England. So, And he was not very good at it. Or the more fun version in which she refused to put her head on the block and then kept moving her head around and basically said, like, come and get it if you can. I like that version so
0: much more that she actually got up and was running around on the scaffold as the guy is trying to hack her to bits.
1: Yes, that one is darkly delightful. And I love her tenacity there that she's like, I'm not going to make this easy for you in any way, shape or form. Not physically, not emotionally, not psychologically. No, no, no. You're going to remember this one forever. So... So, yeah, he finally did get her and he pretty much had to like hack her up because she was uh, she was resisting, which, come on. I mean, right. You know, who wouldn't other than Anne Boleyn? (laughs) Although I guess most people did try, especially for public executions, it was considered very seemly to make sure that you took it well, which seems very unfair. Um, I'm just saying. So
0: like in, in my notes, I have it it took 11 swipes to get her down. And so like I'm just picturing like do 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 as she's running around screaming and bleeding and the guy with the axe is just like coming after her and
1: swinging whenever he could. And, <laughs> and I hope that guy was the teenager stepping in for the real executioner cuz that just makes it even funnier in a very dark way. <laughs> poor kid honestly and poor her. So the ghost story comes in. To this particular scenario in that some visitors will actually see this scene reenacted. I want to go there just to see this scene reenacted. I'm not going to lie. Me too. Absolutely. Uh, And also during the scene, she screams a lot. So there's uh, there's audio uh, as well. Although I would uh, be that person that brings along my phone and that has the Benny Hill theme song, like, like the Benny Hill song, like waiting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now Margaret Pole was beatified in 1886, and she is also buried in the chapel. So, in addition to Anne Boleyn and Margaret Pole, uh, all together in that chapel, you have three queens and two saints. So that's a lot going on in one place. No wonder it's so haunted. A lot of people that didn't deserve to die too. Yeah, exactly. That seems to be a theme. So the next ghost is Lady Arbella Stewart. Now she was one of the possible successors to Elizabeth I, So there was lots of political intrigue going on there. And then she went on to marry the second Duke of Somerset However, she didn't have the permission of King James the 6th and the 1st. Now, memory serves, he was King James the 6th in England, but King James the 1st in I believe Scotland because in in England they'd already had five King Jameses and in Scotland he was their first. So, yeah, he was actually the 6th and the 1st, which is weird but kind of funny. Not confusing at all. Not confusing at all. No. So, he tossed Uh, uh, Lady Arbella Stewart and the second Duke of Somerset into the tower because they didn't have his permission. And also this was a threat to power. Now they had an escape all planned out and the Duke did manage to escape and he made it to Flanders, but Lady Arbella was caught and taken back to the tower it's actually a very heartbreaking story i believe that what happened was something went awry in where their meeting place was supposed to be and so he managed to get out but she waited and waited and waited and when he didn't show up finally like after too long she got on her boat but they'd already managed to track her down so
0: that's such a shame it
1: really is because this sounds like it could have been quite the love story She went on a hunger strike and died in 1615 or she might've been murdered. (laughs) Could go either way. Could go either way. I love how we have such differing accounts. It's like heartbreak or, uh, you know, massive skull damage, hunger strike or murdered to death. So who knows? Uh, She is seen wandering the tower grounds crying. And there's also a story that the governor of the tower he and his wife were in the room where lady Arbella Stewart died and uh, a ghostly presence actually pushed the wife out of the tower and it like just was absolutely unrelenting. Just like, bam, get out of here. And that was a, a really creepy thing for them, I guess. So.
0: Yeah, apparently it was only women that, that really got haunted by her because um, there's a, a few women have, have stayed in the room and said they felt like they were being strangled.
1: Oh, oh I hate that idea. It, that is scary to me. Like the idea that you might feel like you're being strangled and there's nothing you can do about it because it's sub ghostly presence. And I don't even know if I really believe in ghosts. So it's still scary. I, don't, I still don't <laughs> like it. So uh, do you have anything else on Lady Arbella Stewart? No, I do not. All right, let's talk about the Keeper of the Crown Jewels. And no, that is not, in fact, a euphemism for a braguette. So from 1814 to 1852, this position was held by the lawyer and poet Edmund Lenthal Swift. And so as such, as part of like one of the perks, he and his family were granted a residence in the Tower of London. Now, in 1817, it's October, and one Saturday night, he's hanging out with his family in the apartment, which, by the way, is the same apartments where Anne Boleyn was kept until her execution.
0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Exactly. He's there with his family, which is his son, his wife, and his wife's sister. They're all sitting at the table, the, the Windows are closed, the curtains are drawn, and there are just two candles going. Now, only two out of the four people at the table saw what happened next, which is a cylindrical tube appeared in the air above the table to suspend it there. And then something in the cylinder, like a cloud or smoke or something like that, was constantly moving. Very strange. It's very weird. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not your typical ghost story, that's for sure. So this item moved around and it kind of like stopped around each person to sort of visit with them briefly. And then it stopped at his wife, who freaked out and said that it was seizing her, after which point it disappeared into like a window. It like went into the, the crevice where the window was and just gone. But only he and his... I believe he and his sister-in-law, if I read the sources correctly, saw it. The wife, who said it was seizing her, like she knew they saw something, but she just felt this this presence and something grabbing her, I guess, or, or probably strangling her, as every ghost seems to do around here. Yeah, lots of strangling going on. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, she didn't see it, but she felt it. And his son, who is six, was also at the table and didn't see it. So kind of strange, only two out of four witnesses. Now... Uh, Swift wrote about this. He said, quote, Shortly before this strange event, some young lady residents in the tower had been, I know not wherefore, suspected of making phantasmagorial experiments at their windows, which, be it observed, had no command whatever on any windows in my dwelling. So basically, girls were either um, conjuring something or pranking. Why is it always girls? I don't know. I think he, it very well could have been boys, but it's always blaming on. Witches! Witches! So the tower added a sentry to make sure that none of the lady residents would do some more, you know, cause some more mischief and shenanigans. <laughs> so one theory that I've read about this is that it could have been ball lightning. So ball lightning is obviously it's exactly what it says. You get a ball of lightning, but it hangs out for much longer than a lightning bolt does. You know, a lightning bolt is like and gone. This one's like, I'm going to stay here. Let's chill for a while. And they can be tiny or they can be big, like many feet wide. Uh, Sometimes they explode. And then afterwards, there's a strong scent of sulfur. And the thing is, they're still completely unexplained. I mean, there's many theories, but nobody's really nailed it and proved it. They, they haven't even proved that they exist.
0: Yeah. And, and like from what I understand about it, even if it does exist, I'm assuming it does exist. Um, it's rare, like super rare. And these people were describing a cylinder. Yeah. And it's... two of the people there didn't see it. So like I'm
1: ruling that one out. Yeah. And not a, exactly. If it, if it was ball lightning, then how did it only appear to two people? So now this same dude, Swift, keeper of the jewels, uh, just a few days later, he knew about another experience that happened and he reported about this. So it was a, a sentry of the crowned jewel tower saw this, this just by a door and he sees this gigantic bear come out from underneath the door. And so I guess what people always do, sentries and guards, when they see something that might be a ghost, is they try to stab it with their bayonet every time. It's a thing. It's a thing. Although we'll see uh, next week somebody try to shoot a ghost. So there's that. (laughs) And uh, the bayonet got stuck in the door because the bear was not actually uh, corporeal. So Swift said, quote, he dropped in a fit and was carried senseless to the guardroom. His fellow sentry declared that the man was neither asleep nor drunk. He himself, having seen him at the moment before, awake and sober. And two to three days later, the sentry who saw the ghostly bear died. So this I actually
0: uh, saw one one source that said that it is the devil bear and that if you see the devil bear, you will die. So it's like the ring, but a bear. It's it's a bear straight from hell, basically to let you know that you're dead.
1: (laughs) I my headcanon for this bear is that it was one of the bears in the menagerie. And it died a horrible death for some reason. And so this is its vengeance. And maybe it was like a sentry or a guard or something that killed it. So there you go. That's I just tied it up, wrapped it up, all neat with a bow. There you go. Okay. Works for me. Mystery solved. It's definitely not ball lightning, though. So there's that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And finally, uh, let's talk briefly about the White Lady of the White Tower. She is not really associated with any particular historical figure or event. She's just this thing that people see. People will sometimes see this like floaty white person in the corner of their eyes and then this scent of very strong perfume will absolutely overwhelm them. and uh, so some people who experience they get that world closing in kind of feeling. Uh, some people get chills. Uh, some people actually feel a tap on their shoulder, but when they turn, there's nothing there, and the figure in white just disappears. See, the, the
0: white lady figures are everywhere there, like not just in the Tower of London, but like that's like a really common spooky story.
1: Yeah. She's, I'm surprised that there's not a story about somebody picking up a lady from the tower and then taking her to, you know, her grandmother's house and, you know, dropping her off there and then coming the next day to return her white sweater and the grandmother being like, she died 25 years ago, you know, Yeah, (laughs) I'm surprised there's not that, that old story from, uh, uh, from childhood, but She is sometimes spotted at windows looking outside the tower, or she'll just kind of mosey around and check things out. She doesn't seem to do too much harm other than making people feel uncomfortable. So more power to her, I guess. So, uh, Amber, do you have any other?
0: I do. I do. So one of my, actually, I've got two of my favorites here. Uh, Guy Fox, who a, a lot of our listeners have probably heard of, um, if they've seen V for vendetta or whatever. Um, So he was part of a resistance group. They were going to blow up the house of Lords, put in a puppet queen and return the country to Catholicism. But his plot was found out before it could happen. He ends up in the tower. They held and tortured him for two days, trying to find out who else was working with him. And he never gave them up. So they, uh, they eventually decided that they were going to, after the torture didn't work, just go ahead and, and kill him. But instead of beheading him, they decided to hang, draw, and quarter him. Um, so apparently, rumor has it, that visitors to the tower and some of the guardsmen have claimed to hear his screams of agony from being tortured. Oh my. Um, and then Sir Sir Walter Raleigh, who is a famous explorer. Um, I'm just going to do a real quick gloss over here. Uh, famous explorer. He set up the colony on Roanoke Island, the one that disappeared. And um, his ghost is apparently here as well and just wanders wherever he pleases, which I love. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
1: They're like, yeah, we have an explorer here. He just goes wherever he wants. <laughs> that is excellent. Yes. He is an explorer, so he's just doing his job, you know. You know, sometimes the workday never ends. And I actually, I have a fun
0: little story about the last beheading. Ooh, tell. So I didn't have the, I didn't have this before, but um, I, I stumbled upon it. The unlucky man was Simon Fraser, the 11th Lord Lovat. He was a Scottish patriot. Um, his apparent last words were translated uh, it is sweet and seemly to die for one's country oh wow but when they went to, uh, to go ahead and behead him there were too many people on the scaffold and the scaffold collapsed killing nine people that were there to see him die oh my god oh wow so he got to watch nine people die
1: before they killed him it is sweet and seemly to die for one's country or for the uh sake of trying to witness my execution (laughs) so uh take that spectators this is this is no longer a spectator sport we do expect participation well,
0: and I, I kind of feel like maybe that's why they stopped doing it. They're like, all right, so let's just kill people other ways now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, what year did you say that was? Uh,
1: seventeen forty-seven. Apparently, was the last beheading. Okay, because I was actually reading about when they end, when they en- ended public executions in England uh, altogether, not just beheadings, but, um, so yeah, I don't. I know there was a particular year. But I cannot, uh, uh, it was in the 1860s that they ended public executions for, for murder. I, I don't know if maybe they, you know, treason or something like that. They might go ahead and, and continue the public executions. I'm not sure. But but yeah, so yeah, it took them a while, but I'm sure it took us longer. So yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. technically kind of our executions are still public, I guess, if you can request or be invited. So isn't that technically, I mean, you have reporters and stuff going to them sometimes and it's not, it's not as public, but if, if anybody is there, it's not private either, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I have two
0: more Tower of London fun facts for you. Awesome. Okay. So the ravens. There is a flock of ravens at the tower. This has always been a thing. Uh, it started with Charles II, who was very superstitious. He initially wanted to remove them, but then he was told, I, I guess this is like the line, if the ravens leave the tower, the kingdom will fall. And he's like, fuck it, all the ravens. They can all live here. (laughs) Um, So they always have ravens. They actually clip their wings so that they can still fly, but they don't fly far. They have a raven master who uh, in current time, I know, right? He actually has several social media accounts set up where the public can keep up to date on the tower's ravens. Um, and I, I, found, uh, some little fun facts at some of the executions, like Anne Boleyn's exe- execution, even the Ravens of the tower sat silent and immovable on the battlements and gazed eerily at the strange scene. Oh. So like th- they would actually like talk about the Ravens during some of these executions, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and I, I, I guess this, this theory started because the Ravens, living in the tower were actually killed during bombing raids um, during one of the world wars. Only two of these ravens lived, Mabel and Grip, but when Mabel flew away, Grip was left despondent and then also flew away. Um, and just because all of all of the time and what was happening, um, British newspapers started printing that Britain's going to fall. And so they're like, more ravens, more ravens, bring all the ravens back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. I love it. Okay. And then one last fun fact for you to bring back some of our childhood, because I know you and I have always been readers. We were those kids. Oh, yeah. So have you, have? you I'm assuming you read Goosebumps as a kid. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. So the tower has actually inspired a lot of ghost stories and actually in- appeared in an installment of Goosebumps. Oh, okay. Hmm. Which I thought was fun because it was it, it's it's Halloween time. And um yeah, so so the tower is actually more famous than people probably realize.
1: Yeah, really. It's 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 inspired a lot of literature and a lot of stories that have probably passed through even in the oral tradition. So that is the Tower of London. Another one of our spooky ween stories. We have one more coming out for you next week to put the spooky in your ween. Shout (laughs) out to newest patron, Kendra Tokeshi. I hope I said that right. Uh, if I didn't say it right, I will make up for it by singing it, kind of Sources Very Wildly style. So, Kendra Tokeshi. Hi, Kendra. There you go. Hi, Kendra. Thank you for listening to our filthy words. Slightly less filth- filthy without Scott, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like. Yeah, a, a lot less filthy, but we still put the spooky in their weens. We did, yes. Although I still feel like a liar for saying thank you for listening to our filthy words when it's probably been the least <laughs> filthy
0: episode ever. I, I don't, well, I'm not drinking today, so I don't think I said the F word one time. You did once, We'd, but that's okay. Oh, did I?
1: It's okay. Sorry. Right. Right. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I was thinking, I was like, maybe my mom can actually listen to this episode. And then you dropped one of them. I was like, that's still okay. That's fine. <laughs> Just one. Just it's fine. fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thank you for listening to our kind of filthy words. Yeah. So, and uh, we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
0: My sources this week are exploringcastles.com, the lineup.com by Jessica Ferry. Ranker by Erin McCann, thetravel.com by Vanessa L, fascinate.com by
1: Stephanie Kelsey, and Folklore Thursday by Kim McGreal. My sources are Dr. Ed Morris on Exploring Castles, Tracy Borman on History Extra, Historic Royal Palaces, Joseph Curtis on The Daily Mail, Wikipedia, Haunted Rooms, StrangeHistory.net, The Travel Channel paul anthony jones on mental floss jessica ferry on the lineup and an article entitled ghosts on the drink tank by friend of the show chris garcia awesome which by the way uh chris a special thank you for making a decent audio recording possible you know how you did it and we appreciate it very much we love you we do so